At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. All right, welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Ponce. One of the prospect writers here, this is going to be one of the new shows that we're going to be rolling out uh, throughout the offseason and throughout the season. It's going to be our first fantasy episode here. Uh, I have Dylan White, our head of fantasy, alongside me. We just released the prospect top 100 list for fantasy as opposed to the top 100 prospect list for, I guess, real life, using that in parentheses or quotes. Dylan, first off, welcome to the team. Welcome to Baseball America. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Uh, it's going very well. Thank you very much for the warm welcome. It's uh, It's been a whirlwind. Um, we put out a lot of content too, mm-hmm. and uh, it's I'm just very honored and, and blessed to be part of this team and uh, really looking forward to what we've got on tap coming up before the season and then during the season. It's going to be it's going to be good for the subscribers. Absolutely. You had your first article, solo article up on the site today, uh, sort of breaking down the differences between a real life top 100 list like we've obviously done for many many years and then you know uh, a fantasy top 100 list which i know you've been involved in the process of making those multiple times prior to coming here myself as well sometimes with the same people so we're very <laughs> familiar with with similar processes um but you know you came over here from prospects live obviously um we sort of dove right in you weren't there quite yet for the for the first year player draft rankings you did do the mock uh, we put that up on the site as well. We've had a lot of fantasy stuff over the last week. Plus, we announced the big fantasy summit that we have coming on February 25th. If you are a BA subscriber, you already have access to that. Um, just need to have an account. If you're not a BA subscriber, you can click on the details. I'll put some links in the bio here uh, and in the description. And uh, there's sort of a deal that we're running right now. I won't go into all the details and bore you with that. But check it out. If it's something you're available on the 25th, we have a bunch of different fantasy experts, some big names. Uh, they're going to be involved and I'm really excited because I think more so than maybe some of the other online, um, you know, summits, et cetera, that are out there. This is a little bit more dynasty focused because we're dynasty guys. We're prospect guys. The minor leagues are the things that really get us up in the morning. Um, so with that, we're going to break down this fantasy top 100 list that we did. So Dylan, I'm going to kick it over to you in terms of the process. You know, we both sort of come from different places. Um, not that I'm, I, I think people that read my articles know that I am data-driven. I definitely could dive into the numbers quite a bit. But I do try to influence, you know, a lot of the scouting feedback that we're getting from the reporting that we're doing throughout the top 100 process. Uh, a little bit of my own looks and personal bias as well. Um, some numbers too. You're much more data-driven in terms of your process. So I know we sort of combined our list and created this Frankenstein, but talk a little bit about your process, how you start, 
and sort of get to that top 100, your personal top 100 ranking? Yeah, so I, I I'm data driven almost by necessity. That's kind of how it got born out. I didn't I don't have contacts in the industry when I first started playing Dynasty. I, I'd rely on you know these industry outlets putting out their putting out their lists like BA um, to help inform my prospect choices. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to survive in a, in a Dynasty league if I if I stayed that way. So I needed to figure out a way that I could proactively create my own prospect lists and. I come from an engineering background, so you know I'm familiar with spreadsheets. I'm familiar with math, statistics. Um, so I started playing with the, the Fangraphs um, minor league stats, and then trying to find correlations and trying to find like how major league equivalencies are borne out. And this is all years ago. And then so I, I have sort of like a a well worn process where I kind of can find data driven um, information um, to help inform some of my prospect picks. So. Long story short, I, I kind of used all that background to to formulate a skeleton to start this list. So I like to, I, there's age curves that I like to apply. There's translations, like I said, major league equivalencies from different levels um, to major leagues, including from Japan that I like to apply and then try to like figure out. And this is the stuff I love is like trying to strategize and, and kind of query what are the right strategies are for like, how, how would you value a player who's going to have a very high ceiling, but in three years versus someone who's going to have, you know, a, a moderate performance for three years? How, how do you value that? And so like amortizing and discount rates and all that to try to figure out to get one number, which is just an easy way to quickly sort. Um, so I kind of applied that that process to this just to get a framework where I, I, I took all the all the players based on their data I figured out kind of what their expected performance may be over three years. I calculated sort of peak projections based on these like publicly available curves and some of my my previous work before, um, just to get a, a and blend that the, the peaks with the with the the three year kind of performance, just to get us a, a framework to start with. Um, and I know that th there are flaws with that process. There are gaps. I'll miss players who have not performed or players who have been injured, and then so of course you have to kind of manually tweak um to to move them up and, and you know talk with you of course and 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 all the information that we have available to us um but that's kind of the process there like I, it it spat out a nice list that made a lot of sense and felt good to me and then i just know that i have to go in and then we have to make our tweaks and then we we, we talk it through hash it out on the airwaves yeah and um you know i don't think that there were there were some players that we were sort of i'll say had a decent delta on nothing too crazy it, but it was tend, tended to be more players where like a Jackson Merrill, for example, where he didn't have a huge sample size, particularly, um, you know, against high level competition. The sample size for me, and I think for a lot of people, was kind of like the AFL sample size, which is in the regular season numbers. There's a lot of fluky stuff about that. Um, but just the ability, you know, Colson Montgomery, some of these guys where, you know, if you, as you've mentioned before, you know, there's a ton of ability there. There's a ton of upside there. But how do you weigh that against, you know, um, a guy who might be ready-made, someone that's going to step right into a role somewhere in the major leagues? And we're not talking Gunnar Henderson or or Corbin Carroll, but there's others on this list that are obviously fairly close. Matt Mervis, now I know that he's technically blocked with the minimum contract on Eric Hosmer. That's another tangent for another time. But 
something happens in spring training, he outplays Hosmer. It's not crazy to think that Mervis could break camp or be up really early. We've seen stuff like this happen before. He wouldn't be the first prospect in history. So there's all of these sort of like spinning plates, right, that we're just trying to make sure that none of them fall and balance everything because there's a lot of different factors here. Things can go a lot of different directions. Um, let's talk a little bit about I think the, the differences and sort of um, just the ph philosophical sort of shift from how the top 100 list is done, where a lot of it for us is it's in, you know, in, in organization sourcing. Um, it's primarily out of the organization scouting as, you know, a lot of these different contacts we have you know, have organizational coverage for the Cardinals or the Blue Jays or the Dodgers, et cetera, et cetera, and see a lot of these players. So they have sort of a good understanding of like, hey, this is what this guy can do. They have a big sample size on it, et cetera. Um, so it's one of those things where, you know, we, we, we sort of got to balance all that plus in fantasy what you like. Like, I feel like this is the one time where I can't put a little bit more of my personal bias into it, the type of prospects that I like the type of guys that I think over the last seven, eight years that I've been ranking prospects for real life and fantasy that typically, you know, turn into something for me, it's like up the middle uh, toolsy shortstops that have plate approach. If you, if you have sort of that, you're probably a player I like or anybody that gets on base at a heavy, a heavy clip with plus power um, definitely in on those types. So you know, there's all these different things that you sort of got to keep in mind where with a real life list, we're really basing it off of that feedback that we're getting. Um, what we're hearing from inside the organization, outside the organization, the type of grades that we're getting from scouts, you know, it could be from multiple organizations and just getting an idea of what the tools are. There's also the defensive component of it, of we're going to push up a guy who's a standout defensive catcher. Drew Romo is perfect. He makes contact. The plate approach is pretty good. He's a really strong athletic defender behind the plate, switch hitter, really young. He's a guy for a real life team who could potentially be really valuable. Um, if he's an everyday catcher, even if the, you know he's only, only sort of league average offensively, if he's a standout defensive catcher, I mean, we've seen Yadier Molina uh, more or less get into the Hall of Fame based off of that, you know, ca that catching ability. Same thing with pitchers. We're a little bit less risky. We're a little bit less risk adverse on pitchers probably within our real life top 100, simply because you know a guy could be a closer and have this huge stuff, and it's not something that we're necessarily pushed off of, especially if he's a little bit younger and, you know, we believe in the organization or we've gotten good feedback where here there's just a lot less value in pitching prospects in general in fantasy. You're chasing the upside of hitters. Hitters also, you know, good hitting prospects allow you to trade for veteran pitchers too. You know, there's a whole strategy to this. So I know I kind of gave my feedback on like the differences and having been on both sides, you know, coming at it more from the fantasy side, I know you wrote an article on this today. You know, talk about about some of the players who do get a boost for you, and maybe the type of players that you know you value even outside of the system. Yeah, you, you nailed it there with the the pitching and and defense. Obviously, is not valued directly as much in 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 fantasy. The defense, of course, indirectly, someone good defensively is going to get more playing time because they're not hurting the team. So indirectly, we do value defense and fantasy. But the, the other big one is stolen bases, which 
are normally a component in in fantasy leagues, roto leagues, uh, maybe less so in head to head, but they are a category, a, a main category that people are, are playing for, and they have less value, less utility in real life. So people like Asturi Ruiz, who could possibly steal you know thirty to fifty bases in fantasy, that's a valuable player and um, kind of transcends and supersedes maybe the warts that he might have it from a real life point of view. Um, so stolen base is a big one. And, and I informed a lot of my decisions too, based on like my experience with dynasty, you talk about, you know, your years of experience and, and like what I've seen in other leagues is, you know, people don't like the pitching pros prospects. And so those guys aren't valuable. They like going for the power speed combinations, five tool talent, so to speak, even if they're far off and it's not quote unquote, a good bet, they still love them. So like, those guys get pushed up, you know, subtly um, with my biases because I know that those are the guys that my league mates covet. So, you know, we kind of, I, I kind of informed my decisions based on, on experience there. I try not to let, you know, biases kind of get in the way. I know I play in like deeper leagues and maybe not all listeners play in deeper leagues. And so there's going to be a difference there. Um, so I try to, you know, fair and balanced um, kind of uh, objectively assess that way. But yeah, no, I think you 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 mentioned the, the the key differences there between the fantasy lists and real life lists. Yeah, and speed is one of those things where it's really not a huge part of the the equation when we're we're ranking out um, sort of real life prospects. We, I mean, it's it's a bonus. Um, it helps you feel better. It's going to raise your batting average on balls in play. You know, if you're just able to run this stuff out, especially if you make hard contact, it's a great combination. But it's much more of, I'll say, like a peripheral skill set, right? It's a nice to have, not a need to have. Where in fantasy, I mean, you can you can draft a great team, uh, particularly in Roto, in terms of hitting, all these sort of things. If you don't have any speed, you don't have any saves, you're always going to be deficient and you're going to have to pay through the nose to really acquire it. So being able to get those guys in a dynasty league early especially when they're not valued as much. You know, and Astoria Ruiz is a guy you probably could have gotten on really early last year. And if you held tight, you know, his on-base ability kicked up a lot. There's a little enough power that it's not a total loss. But you look back years ago with some of these 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 um, new rules in terms of, you know, pick throws to, to first base, um, you know, the pitching clock, et cetera. For really good base stealers, it's not so much speed as much as it's instincts, right? It's how you read the picture. It's how you read the situation, your personal internal clock, you know, one of those things in scouting that we always talk about. And Ruiz has it. So I think when you look at guys right now that are successful, have a not, you know, have an open opportunity like Ruiz does, where I think we all think that he could potentially be in the mix for 400, 500 plate appearances. That's a huge win. If you can acquire that guy cheaply, because, does he come out, he, he gets on base, he hits well enough. You know, let's say he steals 40 bases even, not even the high-end stuff, the 40, 45 bases. That guy's going to go in the top few rounds the next year. I mean, how many times have Billy Hamilton and Alberto Mondesi been higher-round picks in fantasy despite not necessarily having very refined baseball skills, frankly, you know, uh, at least at the plate in terms of making contact, in terms of getting on base consistently – not a ton of power. Um, so those guys really, you know, really do get a huge boost. 
in terms of the types of pitchers that we look at and the type of pitchers that we go after, I know for me in fantasy, I'm typically just kind of chasing the highest K guys. I feel like they have the highest upside. Ultimately, when I build my pitching staffs, I kind of try to go around K rate unless I've really screwed up and leaned in on hitters too much. And then I'm like, all right, I guess I'm just going to be playing the ratio play this year and, you know, hope that I can find somebody that, uh, that busts out, and you know, has a huge K rate. But I often try to approach it from a K per nine perspective uh, or a K percentage perspective. You know, you want to be able to, um, you know, pile up those numbers regardless of who you have and just get that little bit of advantage. So when you're looking at, at pitchers and some of your process, um, what are the qualities that you're looking for? And we have, what, 17 pitchers on this list, which I know is a, is a, a downturn, as we talked about at the top of the show, from the regular top 100. But I know I said to you offline, there's not a pitcher on this list that I don't like. I think every single one of them I really like quite a bit. Yeah, I think for a fantasy list, the pitchers have to be as close to sure things, if there's such a thing, as possible. Um, and all of these guys have, you know, most of them have potential top of the rotation uh, capability and potential. Like these are all studs. Like these are the ones that you want to take, take a gamble on. I know we have just like on the, the BA 100 list, Grayson Rodriguez, Andrew Painter and Yuri Perez all kind of beside each other. And I think if you took all three of the, there's a chance that one of them won't pan out. And so those aren't, those aren't great odds to, to invest prospect capital, so to speak. So, um, it's really to make sure that the pitchers you take have a higher likelihood of 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 making it uh, and making it quickly in in a in a fantasy league. I mentioned in the article how uh, just sort of the way rosters are designed in dynasty leagues, especially roto leagues, the bench is short, and so you have to be very judicious in how you allocate your your bench. So to have like Josiah Gray, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, these guys who had high pedigree coming in and but haven't really haven't really executed. Um, it's hard to keep them on your bench and use up a spot to wait. Like if you have Tristan McKenzie, if you've waited, it's sort of paid off. But it's it's very difficult to see that that spot on your bench uh, being taken up and you don't want to drop them. And so you get kind of put in this position where you have to kind of make tough tough decisions. Um, I know in, like, in poker, they say like you're, you're kind of forced to play poker and you kind of want to avoid having to do that. Um, so like from a, from a personal standpoint, I like to, I don't like to have too many pitchers who are, are on the cusp of providing some fantasy value, but you're not sure if it's going to be, they're going to come out of the gate, you know, raring to go necessarily. And so you have to have some tough decisions on whether you keep them on in your, in your lineup or uh, on your bench. Um, so yeah, so the people who kind of just missed the cut for us are like sort of the mid-rotation guys who will have value in the season, but it's like waiting for that to happen is maybe not the best bet. So like the Matthew Liberatore, Logan Allen, these guys will have reasonably good projections and will probably, you know, be very valuable assets to their their major league organization for a while, but it's like they're not going to have the flashy strikeout numbers like you talk about. And, uh, you know, there may be some growing pains for the first couple of years. And maybe, you know, they started the as a middle reliever. And so they're not really accumulating the innings for you either. So it, it, we, I try to be sort of very cutthroat in like which pitchers made the cut <laughs> into, into our top 100. Yeah, absolutely. I like that you were like, I had to be really cutthroat about which pitchers made the cut. Yeah, you know, with a little <laughs> wing on that one too. Um, yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think it's very difficult, as you said, um, 
to carry pitchers that are prospects in a dynasty league, especially if the benches are a little bit shorter, if you have maybe only 10 minor spots. I know I have one league. It's like a 12-team league. And we have to assume that not everybody is a lunatic who's playing in 20, 30-team <laughs> dynasty leagues <laughs> with 43-man rosters. And, you know, there's there's 500 prospects rostered in this league. Um, there's other leagues, like my home league, where it's seven prospects. You can trade up to three more and have 10 on your roster. But it's really seven. And there's there's top 100 sort of players that are available and we can't pick up any players after the draft so there's this whole period of like breakouts in the second half that we don't even get to touch until like the end of february you know um and i think that that's a good example where i don't have a lot of spots to necessarily hide guys and the other thing is in this league is if um because i think league league rules are always going to dictate you know how guys are valued right i think that's one of the things that we try to put out a one-size-fits-all list I think with prospects, it's probably a little bit easier because um, we're really trying to rank out the best talents, the guys that are valued the most, um, and the guys who should be valued the most, frankly. Um, but you know, when when we sort of get back to um, you know thinking in terms of stashing pitchers, I really only try to go after guys in this particular you know twelve team league with like under a hundred prospects on, rostered. I, I'm trying to go after Nick Lodolo, like late maybe even in a trade and a lot of times i'm acquiring pitching prospects by drafting a hitter in a round and then realizing this guy's four years out i can trade him an upgrade and grab a pitcher that i can sit on for a year that might debut and then he gets forced up and then there's a bunch of rules around that um but there's value based around that sort of thing i think it's really hard to hold a pitching prospect unless you're in a really really deep league even the best pitching prospects you know, if you're going to have to sit on them for two years and just the variance, right? I mean, we've seen someone like Forrest Whitley come out at 19, dominate in double A. The expectations were through the roof. He's dealt with some off the field stuff. He's dealt with a bunch of injuries. And now we're looking years later, he's pretty old and not really considered much of a prospect any longer. Guys can fall off really quickly. You look at a Mackenzie Gore. He's another guy that had huge pedigree. Everybody was buying in. You know, I thought he was one of the better pitching prospects that I had ever covered. And now I think people are really lukewarm on him. I mean, he probably he's probably going to pitch in the majors this year consistently, right? He's probably going to get drafted later this year than he would have been drafted two, three years ago, even in redraft leagues, because people were anticipating that. I think it's really bad to try to bank on pitching prospects within their first two years in the big leagues, because all of them get the crap kicked out of them. I mean, there's very few guys that are like Alec Manoa that immediately sort of take to it. Shane Bieber, a couple of names that I can think off the top of my head. But like Clayton Kershaw struggled. Max Scherzer struggled. Jacob DeGrom was not Jacob DeGrom when he first came up to the big leagues. Carlos Rodon. I mean, it seems like a lot of these pitchers are not hitting their peaks until 28, 29, and then have a run for five or six years where they're really dominant. So I know I think it's 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 one of the reasons that we have so few pitching prospects in this fantasy list not a ton of trade value, really hard to hold all of them. And there's a ton of variance just within the profile of any pitching prospect. I know JJ always talks about Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and um, uh, Matt Moore being the top three. And everyone's like, top three is so great. We and, and Moore at that point had already debuted. I think he pitched in the playoffs for the Rays. And, you know, they had done the same thing with David Price. So I think there was a pretty good track record, et cetera. 
man, I saw Matt Moore in triple A last year or the year before, you know, um, I'm certainly not going to, unless it's a rehab, I'm not going to see Mike Trout or Bryce Harper at AAA anytime soon. So I think that example right there shows you the variance. But let's take a quick break here. We'll come right back after a word from whoever the sponsor is. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, and we're back. Dylan. I'm going to put you on the hot sheet, hot seat. I said hot sheet. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing for the regular season when we start to do the hot sheet, uh, but not the hot sheet on the hot seat. I want to ask you about Yoshida, uh, big signing by the Red Sox. This guy I feel has the, the most varied opinions I've maybe ever seen in a player, probably since Shohei Otani, where, yeah, I remember putting some of these big grades on a scouting report that I did on Otani uh, right before he had signed. I think it was early on with Prospects Live. And <laughs> Otani, like, has exceeded those expectations, but people thought it was crazy. Yoshida gets $90 million. We did not have tremendous scout feedback from scouts that worked the Pacific Rim uh, and had seen him quite a bit, but gets $90 million. The numbers are great. and. I think the fantasy market, at least a chunk of it, really started to buy in when we started to get these projections back from Steamer and Zips and the bat, et cetera. And the numbers were tremendous. Uh, not a lot of speed, but if you're looking for batting average, which is as tough as it's ever been to get on base percentage with some power, it seems really interesting. And he's probably going to have a good roster spot. So I might have stole your thunder there, but talk to me a little bit about the process, why the projection systems see this the way that they do. Um, and sort of your opinion on it. Cause I know that, you know, you're a fan and you've, you've frankly sort of sold me on in, in fantasy. I wasn't able to trade up and get him and Senga in my, uh, in my 30 team league, but Chuck, I'm, I'm still looking for that. Yeah. I, I, I think if you go solely by projections, um, if you assume the Japanese baseball league is, um, somewhere between double a triple a that is how we used to look at it his projections are great and his translations would therefore be great he has like the equivalent of like a 200 wrc plus in the japanese league so that's like a 150 wrc plus here um his home run rate is like uh double that of like the 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 average in in uh, the japanese league so that translates well like the projection systems even if you consider the japanese league to be double a are actually being conservative on them if you think that the japanese league is actually closer to quad a 
are even better than AAA, then it, the, the the projections are even like crazier for him. So, I mean, the downfall and the, the, the issue with projections is they're kind of agnostic to external information. So they don't know stuff like how well he does. I'm, most of them don't. Maybe some do now. Like how well he does against high velocity fastballs and how that will translate. I know the better ones will and the better ones should. Better ones should take advantage of all information that is significant and useful for making the projections, but they may not know things like that. They don't know um, just like cultural changes that are going to happen to him now he's living in the U.S. and how is he going to assimilate culturally, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's right for the projection systems to be a bit conservative on, on what the the pure numbers are saying. But the numbers, like 290 batting average, 20 home runs, 130 WRC plus, like that is an extremely good fantasy player. And um, maybe maybe you can't count on that. But the, the Red Sox did put a you know put did put a big chunk of money down on the table to uh, to invest in that, and they they truly believe, and they were in on Seiya Suzuki too near the end, from what I from reports I had read. Sure, um, as well. Yep, and and Suzuki has not really let down. Maybe he hasn't reached the the projections that we thought, but you know he's he's definitely not been a bust. So mm-hmm. I I'm I'm optimistic about Yoshida. I I am hoping to get him. Um, in my first year player drafts in, in, in a place where I, where I, uh, where I have my rank, I don't want to give it away. So people, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I took him in the first year player draft mock that we just did. I don't regret it. It's also a good talking point to go through exactly what we're talking about right here. So that, uh, you know, the readers can understand the philosophy. And that's kind of what I liked about this article that we wrote, uh, mm-hmm. that I wrote about the, the differences between the fantasy 100 in the BA top 100s kind of I went into sort of the strategies too so if the reader doesn't necessarily agree with the rank they can at least see why we made the decisions we made and then they can inform their own choices and, and decide if they oh yeah maybe I shouldn't take Matt Mervis here because I'm not going for it sure. this year um, and then so they can realize instead of just blindly taking Matt Mervis because we have him at whatever we number we have them at um, they can see, Oh, that doesn't really work out for my philosophy. And that's why they have them up there. So I, I like the, the, the discussion behind it, that sort of the meat mm-hmm. behind why we made these decisions, I think is very helpful to the readers. Yeah. And I thought some of the examples that you, you so by the way, check out this article, it's uh, differences between fantasy top 100 prospects, BA top 100 prospects while you're there, check out both top 100 lists, check out the uh, FYPD and the FYPD mock. We've had a bunch of fantasy stuff up on the site and we'll continue to do so uh, all throughout the season. Really exciting stuff here at BA. But the thing I love about this article is you list all the names, you have what the rankings are, you then sort of break it down. You know, um, you know, we talk about the guy, you talk about the guys first that are listed on the, um, uh, not on the, the BA top 100, but are in the fantasy top 100. Why? I think we've talked about some of the reasons behind that. Um, but you also sort of, you know, went into the guys that were on the, that were not on the fantasy top 100 that were on the BA top 100. A lot of them were pitchers, almost primarily they were pitchers. But the example that you showed, I thought was great because I think too often folks try to use real life metrics to apply to their fantasy leagues. And I sort of hear this all the time when people are talking about like pitch movement, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, you can get so in the weeds on that stuff that it stops you from making, you know, those binary decisions that you have to make in fantasy of like yes versus no, right? And, um, 
but it's a little bit different with player development. There's a lot more time for guys to develop into something, develop into major league players. But also, even when they get to the major leagues, one of the things that I thought was interesting was this, this Jamison Tyon versus Bobby Wood Jr. example, because they effectively, I think, or actually did have the exact same F war of 2.3 F war. That's fan, fan graphs war metric, of course, in 2022. When you looked at the value in terms of what they brought to a fantasy team, it was stark. It was a very stark contrast. So talk a little bit about that, how you came to those calculations and and just sort of what's what goes into it. I think people generally understand, but uh, as I said last night to you offline, I thought it was a great example and like an aha moment maybe for some folks that are just getting into fantasy. So I think it bears worth repeating. Yeah, I know like you've heard probably heard the, the the statement that you know an average major leaguer is a valuable player and so i w- i wanted to go through the list to see who performed at league average era and fip just because some uh, f- uh fan graphs uses fip for their war and baseball reference uses era so i didn't want someone to point out saying well that's because his era outperformed his fip i found uh i wanted someone that had sort of equivalent and i was jameson tyon um He's 31 years old. He just signed with the Cubs for a four-year, $68 million. So, like, they value him, even though he's over 30, as a valuable asset to a major league organization. And he put up 2.3 war. Um, But his fantasy value under sort of 15-team roto settings uh, that you see on, like, NFBC leagues or TGFBI, he was two cents (laughs) or 20 cents. He was not even a dollar. He was 154th most valuable, valuable pitcher even though he's a league average pitcher uh, by ERA and FIP metrics, he just doesn't have maybe as many strikeouts. His wins weren't as high. Meanwhile, Bobby Witt, who had the same 2.3 F4, like you said, was worth $24 and was within the top 30 of most valuable hitters. So it's like he has the fantasy friendly profile. He's got the power. He's got the speed. Um, And this doesn't even consider like dynasty value. This is not like Bobby Witt is younger and that's why he's worth more. This is just pure 2022 performance. So it was kind of trying to show, I was hoping to illustrate that, you know, you get a a equivalent value in quotes um, in the real life uh, venue, but in fantasy, it's a stark difference. So it just kind of shows that uh, why a major league, a real life major league list for prospects for pitchers, like those are valuable players, but they're maybe not as valuable in fantasy. Yeah. And, you know, you sort of wrapped up the article there, I think, kind of tying all of that together by looking at guys who were higher on the fantasy top 100 compared to the BA top 100. These are guys that were were on both lists. And, you know, it sort of discusses, I think if you look at that list, I'm not going to name it off. I'm actually going to read the article, but they're all sort of really talented, refined hitters. Um, guys that take a lot of walks, that have pretty good contact. There is some power production as well. And those guys are just valued a little bit more. Even if the speed, depending upon who it is, isn't crazy or even there, if they have a lot of these other skills and they are considered one of the top bats in the minors, they're going to move up higher in a top 100 list. For fantasy, kind of the same thing where the guys who were on the BA top 100 and higher there than they were on the fantasy top 100, but we're on both lists. I think it is almost exclusively pitchers and catchers. And then there's, there's actually one uh, really strong defensive shortstop there. Uh, something that I like quite a bit, but I think that kind of makes the point pretty well uh, as well. I think it's just, you know, another good example. I think it gave a lot of good context 
to the list in general. Um, but I think the other thing that I always try to just look at it this way is whether it's fantasy, whether it's real life, there's maybe 200 prospects that you could claim as a top 100 prospect at any point in time. You know, um, there's just such small differences between the guy at 70 or 80 versus the guy that's at 150 or 160. Um, and, you know, those guys at 150, 160, 200, whatever, they can move up pretty quickly um, just with good performance over a few months, showing new skills. You know, these are human beings that we're talking about. They're not robots. Uh, they get better. They get worse. You know, bodies get injured, et cetera, all those sort of things. So, yeah, um, you know, I think that uh, the article itself gave a lot of good context to a lot of the things we're talking about, how we're thinking about things. Last thing I wanted to touch on a little bit was you did some peak projections, um, which was a different process. I don't think you have to go into all of the secret sauce behind that, but just, you know, what was the focus? What were you trying to achieve with it? And, you know, personally, I thought it was a great addition uh, and something sort of new uh, that we haven't really offered in Baseball America in any context before. Yeah, it, it's kind of what I said before. It's sort of taking a, a player's performance um, extrapolating from what level they're at to ha what their major league equivalency would be. I, I put some regression in there um, and then taking age curves to see like, how would they do at you know, age 27 based on their performance if they were to debut in the major leagues this year. Um, of course, there are going to be wide error bands for the younger players or the players that are in the, in the low A, like the lower levels. Um, I like to focus on the most recent year of performance rather than the way one should do it, which is sort of like the Marcel version of, you know, diminishing returns from three years or more. Um, the reason I do that again, out of necessity, I was saying in my, my dynasty leagues, you like to, I like to move and, and pounce quickly on the new pop-ups. And so, um, and they tend to have high value in leagues. Um, so I, I like to focus on like sort of the quickest, uh, the biggest variance in season. And so that's, you know, based on the one year that the, that they're in. So they're not, you know, they're not going to be, I wouldn't bet at Las Vegas with these peak projections, prime projections, because it says that this person is going to hit, you know, 28 home runs and in, in 2028. But I think it, it puts a good context and, and kind of gives you uh, an anchor, so to speak, of where you think this this is, oh, this is a high batting average, uh, reasonable power, and, you know, it's going to have 10 stolen bases. So that's what you, you can kind of put it in a context of how you can value that player. Yeah, um, you know, absolutely. I think that uh, it was a really interesting way to sort of look at it. Obviously, the numbers, you know, they can be sort of all over the place at times. You're not everything's going to be perfect. We did not take a time machine. We do not have BIF. Uh, Biff's handbook from Back to the Future. We're not going to be able to do that sort of thing. But I thought it added some context into what we were thinking about, how the numbers translate, um, and just you know some of the historical context and stuff that we're able to do with that, which I think is really valuable. Um, I know that somebody had a question. They were like, really? Like Francisco Alvarez, a 130 WRC plus catcher? And it's like, why do you think this guy's been ranked this high? <laughs> Even in real life, right? Um, I mean, the guys that make the top 100 list that are catchers. Sure. There's a lot of good defensive catchers on there. I used Drew Romo who's kind of at the back end of the list as an example, but guys are high on the list. A majority of them can hit. 
I think we were probably a little bit less adverse to some of these questionable catchers that have like unquestioned hitting ability. If I'm trying to be cute there, but um, <laughs> a few of those guys, how do you try to value prospect catchers? Cause I feel like it's so tough because so many of these guys end up potentially moving off the position and it's not always the ones you even expect. You know, there's very few Adley Rushman's out there. It's tough. It is tough. I I've always been, uh, I believe in po- positional scarcity um, because you're, theoretically valuing a catcher against his replacement level. So if you're playing in a, you know, 15 team league with two catchers, that's like 30 catchers are being drafted. So you kind of compare your catcher to the 31st uh, best catcher. Um, And because catchers has notoriously been sort of a a wasteland in fantasy, um, people like the Salvador Perez and the JT Real Mutos get kind of a boost. And so I've always I've always been that guy who takes the Salvador Perez in the fifth round or JT Real Muto um, or Kyle Schwarber when he had catcher eligibility. I, I'm taking him. Um, and so I, I've always liked catchers, but I also know that it's very hard to, to make it <laughs> into the major leagues um, as a catcher. Um, right now we are seeing that renaissance where there's so many catchers that have are doing well um, um and are going to come into the major leagues and are expected to be successful. And then the, the irony of that is that because now you're going to have 30 good catchers, that, that replacement value that I'm talking about is now raised. So the, the difference between the best catcher and the 30th catcher isn't as, as, as wide as it used to be. And so ironically, by having better catchers in the league, they may, may may not be as valuable in, in a fantasy league where your, your player pool is restricted. So I find that interesting. Um, in terms of Francisco Alvarez, yeah, if, if he's showing a WRC plus of 130 at peak, like 30 home runs, that is an extremely valuable player. Um, and we have him in the top top 10, but he doesn't have stolen bases. He's not going to reach that peak till for seven years, six years. Meanwhile, Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll are in the majors and producing right now. So, I mean, all that is kind of in, in play there. Ellie De La Cruz is going to have power speed, we, be- we believe. And so... Like those guys end up getting pushed up. So yeah, I mean, if, if Francisco Alvarez is going to be a 130 WRC plus with 30 home runs, he's definitely one of the most valuable <laughs> assets entities in in Major League Baseball. Um, but that some of that, uh, what I just said, the power speed combination that he's far off, he's younger. Um, all that came into play when we when we ranked. Yeah, I think it's I think it's right there, and it's that's uh, a perfect example. You know, there's there's speed, there's categories we're trying to fill here. It changes things a little bit. You know, I think that uh, Alvarez, maybe for example, we look at WRC plus some of these numbers. It's taking walks into a, into account, and some of those things that you know we don't. If you're not playing in an OBP league, you're not playing in a points league. You may not care that much about it. Like it's not going to deter you from taking the player, but it's not as much of a boost as it obviously would be to real life value where teams want guys that can hit for power and get on base and play a defensive position. So uh, there's a lot of value there. I don't want to go too much longer here. We've got about 40 minutes on this top 100 list. I encourage you to read it, stay up to date. We're going to be putting out positional rankings for dynasty uh, leading up to a much bigger list sort of at the end of the month, beginning of March. Um, Dylan, is there anything in closing that you sort of want to, highlight talk about discuss anything you could say no too and be like hey let's get the let's get out of it okay i have no problem with that i can't think of anything offhand i just, i know that the fantasy top 100 is going to be updated as people graduate in the season um i'm going to try to use some of these 
prime projections uh, during the season as well to update in real time or maybe weekly, not real time, uh, weekly for the readers to help find guys who are popping. Um, a lot of good things from a data side that I'm hoping to uh, be delivering uh, during the season to help these fantasy subscribers uh, do better in their leagues and hopefully learn a lot too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll be around and we're going to have the Fantasy Summit coming up uh, February 25th. But uh, we're kind of, you know, plugging away here, doing a lot of different mock drafts. I haven't actually had, I haven't had a real draft yet this year, but I think that that might change this weekend. I think I might jump into an NFPC league and see how that goes. Uh, I try to play as many formats as possible um, just because maybe I'll find one I'm actually still good at. Who knows? But <laughs> Uh, I am Jeff Potts. That is Dylan White. Uh, thank you for tuning in to another Baseball America podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.